Earth is dying. Most estimates suggest that within 25 years, it would no longer be capable of supporting human life. Fortunately, we have discovered a habitable planet in a nearby solar system. We have also made several notable technological advances as a species, including developing the technology to transport roughly half of Earth's population on a one-way trip to this planet and perfecting techniques for artificial insemination without the need for a male donor. Wait, what? Are we all going to die? No, only half of us. Just kidding. This is a hypothetical. Oh, after our last episode on fossil fuels and the damage they're doing to the planet, I wasn't sure. No, life will most likely be around for longer than 25 years. Whether or not it has meaning is a different story. Ah, yes. For our listeners that didn't listen to that last episode, on our next episode, we're going to be exploring the question, what is the meaning of life? And we are asking you to give us some answers that we can analyze in that recording. You can do that on Spotify directly on the episode itself or on Facebook or Twitter at IndubitablyPod. But today, I think we have someone here that we could actually ask this question directly. Our uh, movie voice narrator (laughs) from the intro, Rob Bowler, is joining us on today's episode. So you're asking me the meaning of life? Heavy. Um, Tough question. I'm going to go with my favorite quote, which is from uh, Rabindranath Tagore, the Indian poet. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. And I acted and behold, service was joy. I really love that quote because it makes me think about what I'm trying to get out of life, which is to uh, be of service to other folks. And that's when I feel most fulfilled and like life actually means something. So there's there's my response. Mm. So in, in effect, your participation on our podcast is fulfilling for you. Yes, it is, Kelly. This feels very good. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that uh, might actually recognize Rob's normal voice, he didn't grace us with his movie announcer voice last time. He actually was with us on a previous episode where we talked about the prisoner's dilemma and the trolley problem. And that's uh, honestly, Rob, that's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Even though, for those of you that might remember it, Kelly betrayed me on that episode. That's why it's one of my favorite episodes. Oh my gosh. Well, for those of you that didn't listen to it, a little intro to Rob. He's a professor of rhetoric at the University of San Francisco, where he's also the director of debate. Uh, Formerly, he was the director of forensics at the University of Hawaii. So Rob likes to work in all the nice places. Yes, I do. All right. Niceties are over. Back to the question at hand. If we could only take half of Earth's population to colonize a new planet, who would it be? Mm, Well... I think that you would like my answer, Kelly. I'd leave all men behind. Including yourself. I'm I'm willing to take one for the team. The greater good. That doesn't sound like you. I'm not the one that betrayed somebody on (laughs) the trolley problem episode. So you're just doing this to be noble. I demand a plaque on this new planet. Okay. I don't know. I'm interested to hear your rationale behind that selection. Wait, do you not agree, though? Would you take men with you? I would take probably some men with me. Like four? Like anybody who was on Drag Race, for starters. (laughs) It sounds like this calls for a debate. 
I'm down to debate if you are willing to judge for us. I don't trust Kelly to judge this ourselves. I'm actually really interested in this topic and I want to see where you're going with it. So yes, I would be very happy to judge this. All right, let's do it. Goodbye, Kelly, on your way to your new planet. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're having a very interesting debate here today. The premise is that we have to get off the planet and we actually have a place to go, but we can only take half the population. And Josh, our indubitably host, has decided that he wants to actually leave his brethren males behind and just bring the ladies. On the flip side, Kelly will be arguing she actually wants to do something a little bit different with this matrix and maybe not leave all the men behind. And also don't forget, the women are going to the planet without the men, but they do have the technological capacity to reproduce. Uh, we're going to start with a couple of opening seven-minute speeches. I'd like to introduce Josh with an opening constructive. All right. First and most importantly, a new planet needs a new name. And so as a representative of the entire female species, I hereby christen our new planet, Hervana. I feel like I should win this debate just on that alone, but I've got more. And I want to start with a sociological and statistical observation. This debate is, by definition, asking us to generalize. Usually that's a big no-no, but in this case, I actually think that it's appropriate. We are literally talking about the entire population of women on this planet forming a new civilization and leaving the entire population of men behind to drink beer, watch football, drive their lifted gas-guzzling trucks, and get in fights with each other. In this case, well, some men aren't X, or well, some women don't Y, is not a valid argument. Unless Kelly is also able to provide some mechanism to separate the good from the bad, so we only include the ones that we want on our voyage of extraterrestrial colonization. So, in the spirit of generalization, what would this new world look like? Hervana would be a world and a society established by women. And established is an important word here, because I think we should be noting that this isn't just a chance to redefine the gender makeup and relationships of our society, but also a chance to redefine society itself. This is a clean start that lets us rethink our political infrastructure, our economic systems, and our social norms. And I think that each of these would be infinitely improved if they were defined and their initial oversight was done exclusively by women. And there's plenty of research that suggests women, as a whole, again, this topic necessitates generalization, approach all of these things more effectively than men. Business is more equitable and yet more profitable. Governments are more representative. Families are stronger and communities are healthier. And I know it's going to make Kelly cry, at least on the inside, if she decides to say otherwise. Now, there's a reason that I say these systems' initial oversight would be done exclusively by women, and that is because the fact that no men will be coming to the planet does not mean that there will be no men in this society. As we talked about in the intro, in this hypothetical world, the technology to reproduce without a male donor has been developed. As women give birth, half of the babies born will still be male. 
That means that within four or five generations, the population will be back to 50-50, roughly male-female. And I think that there's some really unique benefits to that process, which I'll talk about later. Before I get into more detail proving these things, I want to clarify one last detail in regards to what this world would look like. And that is, remember that the scenario at hand forces us to decide on a way to choose which half of Earth's population to take to this new planet. Kelly cannot just sit here and complain about the fact that I've chosen to take the female population of our planet. She also has to tell you why my choice is uniquely worse than the other choices that we could make. And to really do her job, she would tell you exactly which alternative she thinks is best. Because even deciding randomly is a choice. We would be saying that giving up all agency in this process would be preferable to taking the opportunity to put together the best new world possible. Maybe she doesn't want this to happen randomly, though. Maybe she has a different trait that she would prefer. Or maybe she has a meritocratic system where she could take the, quote, best people, regardless of identity. I'm curious to hear what she comes up with, and in my second speech, I'll refute any plan she forwards by showing where it falls comparatively short to my own. And this is where I start the substantive part of my side. The reason that I chose this method is because I think that it provides the best possible world moving forward. I think that this is a unique opportunity to redefine civilization, and our only concern should be establishing a new world, Nirvana, that guarantees the highest quality of life, not only for those moving there initially, but the entire future of the human race from this day on. So, why do I think that sending all women to our new planet meets that burden? First, let me examine some of the harms of our current world, and then posit what I think the new world will likely look like. Fact one, men are assholes. If I want to go for the easy and obvious horrors that women across the world face at the hands of men, I could talk to you about female infanticide, female genital mutilation, rape, child marriage, forced prostitution, domestic violence, or honor killings. And it's important to note that none of these things are isolated incidents. Even for those examples that take place between one man and one woman, the causes and surrounding systems that exacerbate the damage done to the women are systemic. And in many cases, this abuse is literally written into law. If nothing else, this gives us a unique chance to rectify all these systems that we will probably never have again. So it's important to note that not only do we have the benefits I'll be exploring of these systems being stewarded by women, but we also get the opportunity to start from a clean slate with all of the lessons that we have learned from doing things so wrong for so many hundreds of years. We cannot waste this chance. I think it's important to note here that if Kelly doesn't like my plan, she needs to tell us how she is going to deal with the problems of sexism. So I think that on face value, helping women quite literally escape Earth, the men that are on it, and the oppression that they have faced since they were born from Adam's rib, even their origin story is sexist, written by men, is by itself enough of a reason to vote from my side of the debate. But let's move on and discuss why this would create the best world possible. In Hirvana, women would be in charge of establishing and leading all systems, political, economic, and social. Usually military is included in there, but women are significantly less likely to go to war. Let's start there. There's substantial evidence that female leaders tend to be more collaborative than their male counterparts, suggesting women would be more likely to work with their neighboring countries to find peaceful solutions to conflict. Women also tend to be more empathetic and their empathy may make them less likely to harm enemies physically. 
Historians and political scientists have also suggested that overconfidence is a major cause of war, and psychologists have found that men are more likely than women to be overconfident. Every male thinks that their rocket is the biggest. A world with no war? Point Hirvana. When we look at leadership in general, what qualities make a good leader? I would argue honesty, intelligence, compassion, and innovation. Women in general score higher on all of these categories. What traits do men associate most closely with? We talked aggression already. Men are more risk-prone and thrill-seeking. And when you put all those together, we get truly terrifying results, like the atomic bomb. Men are competitive and less likely to invest emotionally, leading to the creation of the predatory extremes of our capitalist system. You can credit men for the ever-increasing wealth gap or destabilizing economic crashes. Cold and exclusionary attitudes, communication styles, and approaches to the world lead to homogenous, unadaptive political leadership. Bottom line here is Earth is defined by systems of sexism. Hirvana doesn't have to be. You have your chance to escape. Leave all men behind. All right. Thank you, Josh. Kelly, time for your seven-minute opening argument. I get hyperfixated on things from time to time, things that make little to no sense, but they result in questions that I can't ever seem to answer myself. And I'm afraid of asking people because I will seem like a weirdo. One such idea was, do British people have emotions? Which later became, can British people love their children? Because my brain is bad and it just does this a lot. Lately, I've been seeing so much happening to women, specifically in America, that makes me wonder, do men simply not see women as people? Between the subjugation of women through societal norms and actual laws now, and the criminal way in which the unpaid labor of women is mandated in order to keep the wheels of capitalism moving, yeah, I don't think a lot of dudes see women as people, but rather as a means to an end. I'm happy to use my time today to not only demonstrate that women are in fact people, but that they are more complex than you previously understood, Josh, and more capable of doing the exact same bad things that men do if given the right circumstances to do so. A few points of rebuttal. First, I don't have to prove an alternative is better than Josh's proposal, just why his sucks. I reject the burden that he has assigned me. Secondly, the men suck point that Josh makes neglects the degree to which women are complicit in perpetuating patriarchal structures and violence. The rest of the material I think I will address through my own matter here. So we have two questions to answer. First, are women more inherently peaceful and good than men? The situation we find on this planet is that women appear more peaceful than men because they are, one, deliberately excluded from the decision-making arenas in which wars are decided, and two, relegated to occupying caretaker roles even when they hold power. Analysis of female leadership in Africa by the UN shows that the ways in which women occupy powerful spaces in comparison to male leaders is more akin to motherhood, such as, quote, care, education, and food. If men are no longer a barrier to women accessing those higher echelons of power, especially as these women in particular will carry a lot of patriarchal programming with them, they can and will be warmongers, which is definitely badass, but not what we're going for, right? Currently, there are 17 women who are heads of state and 19 women who are heads of government. How is that anywhere near enough data to prove a docile world will come about when men are taken out of the equation? The UN estimates that it will take another 130 years for gender parity to emerge in executive government positions. So get back to me then. But beyond that, women can suck and you know it. You, you know it so bad. You know about Margaret Thatcher. And you can say that that is the exception to the rule. Know that the thought behind women being better for peace and international relations is based upon a gender stereotype that women are soft, gentile, and weak. 
Women only appear that way under the confines of patriarchal systems, which are unfortunately pretty much universal here, Earth. If you think women are passive little creatures with no machinations for power, you clearly have never been on the receiving end of a popular girl bullying you. Something, something, absolute power corrupts something, something. And don't even get me started about how we get on our periods. But the second question we have to ask today is, is a society built on segregation capable of an equitable future? Okay, so let's assume that this society wouldn't just be Earth to electric boogaloo, but in fact would be less bellicose than what we currently experience. That would not change the fact that the origin for labia land would be an initial act of segregation, and not even just segregation, but gendercide. The Earth currently has countries and societies where gendercide, specifically femicide, is more prevalent than others, and those areas also happen to have higher instances of other forms of segregation. Sorry, happen to have makes it sound like it's just a coincidence when it is, in fact, often government policy steering extreme acts of discrimination and hate crimes. In China, where the one-child policy led to female babies being, quote, abandoned and eliminated in mass, there are also forceful attempts to assimilate or destroy cultural and linguistic minorities, notice, notably a genocide against the Uyghur population. In India, the social emphasis on male children caring for parents in old age, plus the cost of a dowry that is expected when marrying off a daughter, also leads to femicide. India also is famously known for its caste system, and more recently, a rise in Islamophobia, resulting in what may also soon qualify as a genocide of a religious minority. It's no surprise that countries like this also see a lot of gender-based violence, which is harrowing. Lest I be accused of cherry-picking, let's talk about America. We are not as obviously and outwardly violent as some other countries are, but there is no doubt we have been unable to shake that history from our current practices. The systematic racism that still exists even though our segregation is over is inarguable. Women can vote and even get credit cards in their own names now, but nearly twice as many women as men experience intimate partner violence here. This country is now centuries past its violent origin, and yet my greatest fear is still that a man will kill me, and your greatest fear is just that a woman will laugh at you. We cannot shake that history as effectively or as quickly as we'd hoped. So, okay, why is that a problem for Earth 2? For starters, any male children born on that planet will necessarily be seen as lesser or other. Ugh, a boy, we let a whole planet of them die, throw this one on the trash heap, which is androcide. Moreover, as soon as one form of bias, discrimination, or making a choice is acceptable, if it was anything other than completely random and equitable, Society has, therefore, implicit permission to do what we need to do in order to do the best we can for society. Eugenics, caste systems, genocide, etc. all become more probable if you base the foundation of your entire world on one initial war crime. And if Josh tries to tell you, well, then well, maybe we'll just make sure there are no male children, you will be able to maybe control for biological males coming into the world, but you would never be able to control for trans or gender nonconforming people coming into the world without further hate crimes being involved. Hate crimes will beget more hate crimes. There is no way that this world would operate any way close to the way that Josh has described. And for all of those reasons, I am very much happy to oppose this proposal. Thank you for that speech, Kelly. Time for a cross-examination. Josh, you've got the first question. All right. You didn't like that I said in my opening speech that if you were going to reject my plan, you would have to come up with an alternative of your own considering that one way or the other, only half of us are making it onto this flight to our new planet. Is it at least fair for me to say that rather than discussing the virtues of leaving men behind in a vacuum, 
its merits and shortcomings should be discussed in comparison to potential options that someone, somewhere, sometime in the next 25 years is going to have to come up with. So that's not my job here today. The only thing I have to do is to prove why your idea is a bad one. And that is actually how most decisions are made when we're talking about things like this that have like a massive policy implication. We don't say, here is a bill that we like. And all the people say, we don't like it, don't automatically submit new alternative bills. They discuss the merits of that particular piece of legislation as it stands currently, independent of a comparative factor. And then if there is an agreed upon problem that requires a solution, they then decide if there is a better solution out there. But first, they may need to reject a bad one like yours. But I have a question for you. You're talking about willingly letting an entire gender of people on a planet die, passively letting them be murdered by the inevitability of this disaster. And somehow that transitions the new society into like this utopian place as a clean start. So I'm just caught up on how this could potentially be clean, considering it's letting so many people die. Well, the fact that half of the population is going to die is not clean, whether it's based on gender, whether it's based on randomness, whether it's based on some ethical test, like whatever. But half of the population dying is not my choice. That's the topic at hand. And both myself and you have to operate under that premise. So considering that, we can either take Earth and its various societies as it is and transplant it to a new world, or we can take advantage of an opportunity to start over on Hirvana and fix some of the deeply rooted flaws that permeate humanity here. And that's my stance, that gender, while not a perfect solution, is the best solution. And whatever debates you have in the future, you will not be able to come up with a better one than this. On your side, my question, you point out that women can, have been, and are oftentimes complicit in perpetuating patriarchal structures and violence. But Don't you think that that's a flaw that arises from being forced to navigate in a world constructed by men? Not necessarily. I believe that when women do things like engage in sexism, reinforce sexist norms, they are doing so because that is a reinforcement of what makes them powerful by association. It's to align with the aggressors, with the oppressors in society. So let's say that you actually get this future where your planet is free of sexism because there are no men. There's still going to be people, women, who want to do things to better enable their position. They will align themselves with people who have horrible methodologies towards getting what they want. They will seek systems of inequality in order to advance themselves. And I think that comes down to human character. And it just so happens to operate as sexism the way that we see it now. But it could operate as many forms of oppression. And it often does. Like some of the worst white supremacists in the country are women. They're not just sexist, but they can be too. And speaking of sexism, in your future land, when all of the women finally start having babies and they inevitably have male babies as you have 
said that that would be the the inevitable outcome. What is going to happen to all those little boy babies when everybody else that was male was left to die before then? I actually think that they're going to be treated quite well. And I'm going to cover that in my second speech, exactly why that is. And beyond that, I also think that those baby boys are going to grow up to treat other people, specifically women, better than they would have here. But what about the baby girls? Can you tell me why you don't want to take the chance to escape a planet that subjugates them to things like female gender mutilation, childhood marriage, or honor killings, right? Just to name a few of the crimes that men subjugate women to on a daily basis on Earth. But sure, you're right. Women can be mean to other women, but men take it to a catastrophically different level. Those things that you're talking about are often reinforced and demanded of women by women in order to align with patriarchal norms. And it's a a joint effort, so to speak. I don't see enough analysis coming from you to prove that there is not only going to be an absence of sexism, but an absence of all other forms of bias that are currently the same sort of problem we're experiencing on earth. I just don't see how it is achievable to get the society with an inevitable equality when it's based on these types of characteristics. All righty, it's now time for our rebuttal speeches, which will be six minutes apiece. Josh will be going first. I actually think that Kelly's strategy here was genius. She proved that a society inhabited entirely by women would be less effective by play-acting the stereotypes of women that she listed in her speech. Soft, passive, and weak. Instead of taking a golden opportunity to make the world a better place, She labeled it a burden and refused to engage with it. I know that she's better than that. And I know that women are better than that. And I'm glad that Hirvana will be populated by them. Kelly, you included. Whether Kelly wants to talk alternatives or not, though, something has to be done. If you don't like my solution, there has to be another solution, whether it's Kelly that proposes it or the men of the world, which would probably be worst case scenario, or somebody out there. So Kelly's not willing to do comparative analysis in this speech. I'll do it. And again, my standard is that the most important consideration is what results in the best society possible. Is my solution perfect? No, it kind of sucks that half of Earth's population is dying. That's not my side of the debate. That's the scenario in which we are having this debate. My side makes the best of a bad situation. And actually, long-term, I think that we can come out of it a better world. So is it fair for Kelly to just say, hey, your solution's not perfect, but we're not going to discuss any other one? I don't think so. I think we need to compare. Here's my comparison. One, I talked in my first speech about the obvious eradication of all the toxic traits that men bring, both interpersonally and systemically, point from my side. Second, though, getting into the comparative, if you don't want to send only women on the rocket, who are you going to send? I think that sending only women actually has a really unique advantage, and that's the maintenance of diversity. Because if you only send women, all other types of diversity still exist. We still have racial diversity. We have socioeconomic diversity. We have religious diversity. We have diversity of sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as I pointed out in my first speech, we're not even losing gender diversity. We send only women to the new planet. 
and men will be reintroduced through birth. So with the selection that I make, we actually have a planet with the same makeup as the planet that we currently have. But as I argue, without the systems on Earth have been created, instituted, and governed by men. So I think that's a unique benefit to my plan that you don't get through a random assortment of people. Um, A, I just don't think a random assortment of people makes sense when we have an opportunity to guarantee a brighter future for our species. And B, it's a unique benefit that we don't get through any other mechanism of choice, whether it be, let's take the top 50% of socioeconomic classes. Let's take the top 50% of intellect. Let's take the middle percent of whoever and drop the extremes. There is no other solution that has the same effect as mine of recreating an earth with the same demographics as we have now without the issues. Okay, but Kelly says this doesn't matter because even when we bring men back, we're going to have the problems of sexism just in reverse. Here's three reasons why I think that women are less likely to be sexist than men, even if they're on a planet where they have control. One, their history of sexism as the victim of it. I think that a gender that has experienced sexism as the victim for as long as women have are much less likely to propagate it in the future. Two, biologically, women don't see men as objects in the way that men see women. And three, all of the men on this new planet will be the children of women. They'll be introduced in the society. And I think that that gives women, Kelly brought up the caretaker instinct. I think that that caretaker instinct takes over and makes women much less likely to be sexist than men. The second argument that she had here that I think was relevant was that some women can suck. <laughs> okay, that's true. Again, I talked about generalizations in my first speech, but I think that in, women are inherently more peaceful than men. And Kelly said, well, now they're relegated to caregiver roles because of the men in the world. And if the men weren't around, then women would actually become more violent. But I think it's the opposite that happens. Women are not made more peaceful by the existence of men on earth. The example here is Margaret Thatcher. Kelly points out that women are seen as soft, passive, and weak. But she says, look at this woman who succeeded. Margaret Thatcher is the opposite. Margaret Thatcher is just like the men who we don't want. The reason that Margaret Thatcher is who she is, the reason that Hillary Clinton is who she is, is because in order to succeed in the world that we have now, a world that's male-dominated, you have to adopt male characteristics to succeed, to be promoted, or to be elected. So the existence of men forces women who want to be successful to be more masculine, to overcome this stereotype of soft, passive, and weak. And so they overcompensate and become greedy, selfish, violent, aggressive, etc. In a world without men, in a world without these stereotypes to overcome, women can naturally, organically take those caregiver roles and use that role in leadership positions. And I think that that establishes a better world, as I highlighted in my first speech, especially in comparison to the alternatives that Kelly doesn't want to talk about, Hirvana is the best chance that the human species has moving off of Earth and moving forward into the future. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Now we've got a six-minute response from Kelly. Okay, Josh is like really hung up on this. Kelly didn't provide alternatives thing, even though we have 25 years to sort out exactly what the proposal would be. 
But I guess in the absence of doing anything, I have chosen the eventuality that we won't get our shit together in 25 years and all of humanity will die. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. You know, Josh is also very set on society proceeding on another planet, that there should be some form of humanity that exists even after Earth dies. Why? (laughs) Humans are a plague. Like we take every natural resource available to us and we abuse it and we wreck the environment and we we kill species and we commit violence against ourselves. And we've heard no justification from Josh whatsoever why there should be any humans that exist beyond Earth's existence in the first place. So if we want to get into the comparison now, a comparison of a universe with humans versus a universe with no humans, I think that the universe would probably benefit from a lack of humanity. Josh says the goal is the best society possible. Well, perhaps the best society possible is no society. So to get into what Josh is specifically arguing here, he talks a lot about how this society is going to be like just the bee's knees. It's going to have all of the best features of all of the things that we like about Earth. um, And eventually, even the men that we have on this society are going to be awesome, too. He says that we retain diversity of everything except gender initially, and then eventually we will have that diversity of gender. He doesn't engage whatsoever with the point that I've made that not only would there be an inherent bias against any males on this planet after like an entire population of women decides to abandon them completely because they have deemed an entire gender of people irredeemable. But the origin of violence, the, the passive allowing of an entire gender to die as the origin story for an entire society, planet, what have you is going to open the floodgates of of multiple forms of violence, not just gender-based violence, but any sort of needing to create a hierarchy or deciding that like it's an us versus them or you're better than this person because of this characteristic, et cetera, et cetera. And the lack of harmony as a result of that is going to undo literally any benefit that Josh claims he would get by disregarding all of the men that are currently on the planet. But he also brings up some points about how women won't be sexist for all of these reasons. First, because women who were the victims of sexism would not perpetrate sexism or other forms of discrimination on other people. That's not necessarily true. Uh, Violence often begets violence. A lot of people who are victims of forms of abuse often become perpetrators of abuse as well. Uh, A whole generation of women who fled a planet and let all of the men die and then stake claim to a new planet and decide that like we're suddenly going to be incredibly equitable and not kill any men anymore seems really far-fetched to me, uh, in addition to the fact that this is science fiction. But he also says that women don't see men as objects, disagree, read a lot more of the types of books that I read. Um, And he says that women will also be the caretakers of the future men, the future generations that will come about. Women are already the caretakers of the men that come about on this planet. There is substantial evidence that women have more of a role in parenting the next generation than men do in a lot of cases. And women Uh, sometimes are the only caretakers for a lot of the men in a lot of these cases. And look at the men on this planet, like already. So I don't see any evidence to show that when women are the sole caretakers of the men on a new planet, they're their future generations of sons. And they have an inherent bias against men because they let, you know, what, 5 billion of them die um, in a cataclysmic earth-shattering event. And uh, they also seem okay with that. I don't see any reason to believe that the men that are 
raised in the society are going to somehow be free of the the strictures of sexism that are currently plaguing society as a whole. Now, he also tells us that a lot of the women that we're pointing out as having to be kind of like, I don't know, the bitches in society, like the Margaret Thatchers and what have you, only had to do so because it took that sort of characteristic to succeed in a male-dominated world. Well, perhaps the world made the male-dominated characteristics become the ones that were the most successful for things like international governance and diplomacy and running a nation. And the women were not necessarily becoming more male. They were just becoming better leaders. When it, when a man does it, it's seen as assertive. When a woman does it, she's called several explicative names in the process. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily inherently a male characteristic to take up space and be assertive in a room. It just means that's an effective trait of leadership. So uh, I see a future in which there are extremely aggressive women because aggressive people get shit done, making this world into whatever they want it to be. And men would be, at best, second-class citizens if they're allowed to live whatsoever. And perhaps maybe that's another reason that Earth 2 just shouldn't exist at all. Perhaps this whole human experiment was just a failure. Perhaps we have no reasonable expectation that another planet would do any better than this one. And Josh would need to then tell us why that wouldn't be the case. And again, I oppose. Right on. Thank you, Kelly. I guess it's time for me to ask you both some questions. Josh, I'm going to start with a question for you. You had this really interesting characterization of men and associating risk-taking with being a very male-centric thing. Uh, my question is, isn't risk the es very essential to advancements in various different fields, business, science, you know, basically for us to flourish as a, as a species? Why is risk inherently a bad thing, and why do you exclusively pin that on men? I think that there's a degree to which risk is a bad thing. So I think women can take risks, but those risks are, again, generally more controlled. And this is over the entire population, looking at the entire collection of leaders, whether those leaders be in science. For example, huge risk leads to the atomic bomb. Bad. Small risks looking to push you know, the standards of medical care, for example, leads to positive results. Huge risks in war. Let's invade the Ukraine because I think that my missiles are bigger than your missiles. Good job, Putin. So I don't think that it's women take no risk. I think that they take more calculated risks, and that's played out in a numerous examples. And I think that that's the standard we should be deciding based on. Great. Thank you. All right. My next question is for Kelly. You said that women are looking for machinations of power. Love that line. So I'm curious, can you give me like, what, what are your, your seminal examples to help me think about who are these women? You know, Margaret Thatcher was, was thrown out there. But if you had to say, you know, what's, what's going to really get me to bite on this idea that women are possibly as scheming as men, what would you say? I can't tell everybody all of our secrets. <laughs> but no, I think that it, the high school environment is a pretty good indicator of what types of people we're going to grow up into being. And that is when the entire social structure is organized and enforced by the female classmates in a lot of those instances. 
So while there may not be as much outward aggression, and usually when there's outward aggression, it's like a quick, like, you know, punch in the face after school, if the male students are enacting it, it's like a year long systematic takedown of people in in the utter destruction of their reputation. So yeah, it's probably not the exact same type of power grab and the same type of violence as maybe the boys would do. But in a lot of cases, it's probably like worse. Um, and I, I think that's a really big push into how society then organizes itself. It's women are quietly doing a lot more to organize our society than we probably are aware of or want to acknowledge. Thank you. All right, Josh, got a question for you. So you began this debate talking about a frame of generalizations. And I'm wondering, do you have any major positive generalizations about men? Well, you and I are men, although I suppose that's not that's individualistic, not generalization. I think that men have a lot to offer, but I think that what we have to offer is tainted by the systems that we are raised and operate under. And that's why I think this is such a unique opportunity is to have men with everything they can offer born into a system that was initiated and run by women allows us to access all of the good that men can provide, maybe the risk taking that you talked about earlier, et cetera, but to do it in a system that has checks that are set up to make sure that it doesn't go too far and it doesn't get out of hand. Great. Thank you, Josh. All right. Question number two for you, Kelly. Are women a burden, like Josh suggested, that you characterize them as? I don't see women themselves as necessarily a burden. I see a lot of the things that are going to be carried forth in a society that has an origin story like Josh is telling as being incredibly burdensome and probably even more destructive than the planet that they're, they're fleeing. All right, Josh, my third and then probably my most important question. So in your plan, it, you know, the men stick back home and they, you know, I guess they're sitting with their feet up and their crocs on and they're drinking away while the, the women take off. A few generations down the line, you said it's going to go back to we're going to have men being born. And then several generations later, won't these same harms of toxic masculinity and all the different things that come from being maleness reemerge? No, I don't think so. So. The toxic masculinity that you talk about, I think, is literally rooted in hunter-gatherer society. The men would go out, beat the animal over the head with a club, drag it back. The women were waiting. They would cook it. The men would eat it. And slowly and surely, our civilization grew up from that. But we held on to those gender roles, we held on to the aggression, we held on to the violence, we held on to the subjugation. And that's why I've said in my speeches, I think this is such a cool opportunity to start from scratch. And so the men who are born into the world are not born into a world that that grew out of the worst of the instincts that we have, the worst of the biology that we have, but instead it's a more measured, a more intellectual, a more civilized approach. And growing up and being introduced to that world, I think would quash a lot of the problems from reemerging. All right. So follow-up question. So it sounds from what you how you're responding that you believe that some of that toxicity or the, the harshness of the male, whatever it might be called, is intrinsic. I do. I do. But I think there's a lot of biologically intrinsic 
features that humans have in society that we are able to repress because we understand that it's for everybody's good and because we understand that's what it means to be civilized. And I think that's what would happen here. So plan Hirvana is to tame the male psyche that even even it might have some deep biological roots that can be done culturally with a reboot on a, on a new planet. I believe so. At the very least, an improvement on what we're dealing with now, which is I think Kelly has to agree horrible, even if she doesn't want to fix that either. All right, Kelly. So I'm actually a little bit scared of, of your a little bit nihilistic take that, hey, it can't work at all. So we're just going to, you know, we're going to nuke the whole thing. Armageddon is maybe what we should go for. I mean, is that really your pitch? Or is there a potential for a feminine centered world or a more androgynous world? Is that something that's possible? Yes, this kind of like plays into Josh's thing. What's, you know, what's your counter plan? Um, but do, do you have some hope for for the future if we stick around? Or are you really more thinking we want to burn it all down? Well, a couple of answers to that. First, I can see many different alternatives, which I would consider preferable to what Josh has proposed. Numerous to the point where it would just be a complete waste of our time to actually go into those in detail. Like we could start a brand new society with like 60 people, probably. There's no reason it necessarily has to be half of the people and swoop up all of the awful people with them. But I also don't have any justification to prove why humanity should move on moving forward. In my own self-interest, I kind of like living and I would like to continue doing so. But I also recognize that this planet is dying because of us. And if that's the case, why wouldn't we also do the same thing to a future planet and create the same sort of scenarios where it becomes uninhabitable? And if, if that's just how we're going to proceed in the in the entire galaxy, then I think that we kind of unhired ourselves, as my mom would say. I think that's all I got. All right. With that, we will move to our final speeches, three minutes each to summarize the debate. We'll start with Kelly. So I'm pretty sick of being told how women are by non-women. Thanks, Josh. But I think we need to go into a little bit of the analysis of what Josh specifically said during this last period of cross-examination. When he's talking about the origin of our social structures based upon the biological necessities that happen as a result of hunter-gatherers, and he tells us that we then held on to our gender roles doesn't that speak to why women are considered the more nurturing and caregiving ones currently is because that is a vestige of the Serengeti, right? Does that mean that it's inherent to women or is that something that is uh, expected of women because of the way society has organized itself? If we're starting from scratch, as Josh suggests, that would only last for like a generation. And then we would be back to brute human nature, which is the exact same problem that we have currently, which is the the powerful will gain power and they will make things really bad for the people who don't have power. And as I have stated multiple times, which received absolutely no analysis from Josh, when you have a violent origin for your society, you make it so permissible for the perpetuation of violent means to keep whatever societal order you want to have. So the people who are in the majority, even if they're all women, are still going to be the people in the majority. They're going to be perhaps all Christian women or white women or uh, women who have way over 
bleached their hair or things like this. Like there's going to be a majority that eventually emerges and they're going to be carrying with them from the planet that they came from all of the things that they have had forced into them by a patriarchal society. They're going to have an understanding and appreciation for hierarchy, especially when it benefits them. They're going to have bias. They're going to see a benefit of acting upon those biases and making things difficult for people who are not in their chosen group. And I do think it's incredibly plausible that they would have a negative reaction towards any male children that would happen upon this society. The only thing that there would be in order to get this like start from scratch is to like literally wipe the brains of everybody who's going to be going on this mission as well to make sure that they don't carry with them any of their preconceived notions about what is or is not right, what is or is not equitable, what is or is not appropriate in order to retain your power, your station, your wealth, your your possessions and things along those lines. So Josh has not proven that this is the alternative we need to to seek, nor has he proven that we even need to do this in the first place. And maybe we should just let all people die um, with that positive approach to humanity. I, I proudly conclude. Thank you for that final speech. Now it's time for Josh to wrap up his point. Kelly says, when you have a violent origin, you make it permissible to maintain violent means of establishing order. But this is not violent. And I think that's what she's missing. This is not women killing men. Let's take the Titanic as an analogy. When the Titanic was sinking, women and children were prioritized to save. Did anyone say that women murdered the men who were left on the Titanic to die? Well, besides the fact that there was definitely room on the door for Jack, no. It was a horrible situation, and the people involved made the choice that they felt would cause for the best possible outcome. This is not violence, but our current society does have a violent origin. We talk about men on the Serengeti. Rob asked the question, if this is biological, if this is evolutionary, is it possible to get over those traits? And if we continue with the way things currently are going, I would say no. Our entire society and the roots of sexism and the roots of the violence that men perpetrate onto women right now can be traced back to the origin of our species. But this opportunity and that's what I'm going to call it. I understand that half of Earth is dying, but we can't escape that fact. That's the scenario that we're debating underneath. This opportunity offers us a way to escape that. And what I'm suggesting is that we take the only chance that we have. Uh, Kelly finally gave us an alternative. It's going to take 60 people only. I'm actually fine with that, as long as all 60 are women. <laughs> but I think that whether it's 60 or whether it's half of the population, Taking only women, leaving the men behind, has multiple advantages that I've listed through my speeches. Sexism is one of the most pervasive evils that exists in this world. My proposal takes advantage of this incredibly unique opportunity to finally cure that. Diversity is a trait that populations should look to maximize. I've explained how my solution, more than any other alternative, creates the same diversity that we currently enjoy on Earth replicated on Hervana. A society that's led through honesty, intelligence, compassion, and innovation 
is preferable to one led by aggression, greed, unnecessary risk, nepotism, and narcissism. On Hervana, women can be celebrated and promoted to positions of power by expressing traits that are seen as weak on earth, a burden on earth, replacing the ridiculous class of male leaders that we suffer under on this planet with more empathetic and effective leadership. I hope, for Kelly's sake, I win this debate, she goes off to Arvana and leaves Rob and I behind to drink and watch football and play pickleball together. So I guess it's time for my adjudication. I really enjoyed this debate. It was it was fun. It was, you know, Labyland versus Hervana. Very clever titles. I liked it a lot. I liked the fact that you guys switched, you know, what we thought was going to happen. We figured that it was going to be a battle of the sexes here, but not so much. It was really, so really interesting points of view. Um, I'm just going to go straight to, to why I believe Kelly won this debate tonight. And the, and the reason the reason being is um, not that I, I think that Josh's characterization of the male species is incorrect. Yes, the, the nepotism, the sexism, um, the history of violence, uh, all the things that we associate with patriarchy are there. But I, I think that the re- rebooting of society a few years down the line is really what got me back over to Kelly's side. Redefining civilization and having a clean start seems like a good idea, potentially, if you do characterize men in a very extreme sense. But I think it's actually some hyperbole there. And I think that, you know, for the sake of, of this debate, it was, hey, let's let's put men in, in this, you know, really, really dark corner. Somebody sent me a, a Jordan Peterson podcast the other day, and he was asking, all right, as men, are you inherently feeling bad about the world as you grow up and you're mature? Because so you're looking around, you're looking at, oh, wars, they're started by men. Oh, sexism or, you know, all the different institutional systems that seem to have really done harm to this world, environmental degradation, et cetera, all seem to be associated with problems with masculinity and things that men have done in society. I think that's interesting because really what you guys are talking about today is you know, it's really a nature versus nurture argument. And as there's some really distinct, inherent distinctions in sex, is the you know, quote unquote fairer sex really if if women were in charge if we could start a matriarchal society and you know reboot the whole system and start from scratch would it be a much safer egalitarian less homophobia less sexism less hierarchy is that something that is you know inherently wired into the system of men versus not so much in women um i don't know that i necessarily buy that completely but I do think that maybe there's there's something to it, but I don't necessarily think that a feminine-centered world is possible without having that sort of like yin and yang, that sort of balance that pushes off of each other. So I don't think that like a, a necessarily a, a reboot is even possible, even under the conditions that hypothetically that we're talking about. Kelly, the line that really stuck out to me was in your final speech. You said. You know, what we're looking at here is, are we going to go back to a brute human nature if we start this over again? And will the violent origin just regress? Is this something that will, over multiple generations, will come out again? And I kind of believe that that's that's the case. So even if you said you put it, the people that we send to this planet or wherever we're going in a black box and erase all their culture and erase their memories, 
and then we start from scratch, is it something that's inherently like tied to their DNA? Um, and and I, I agree. I don't think that a blank slate is possible. I think that it is something that is hardwired. I think that it's maybe not as black and white as you guys paint it to be. You know, obviously, a lot of this is tongue in cheek and we're having fun with it today. But I do think that there is something to some deep hardwired millions of years of evolution, if you will, to some of the characterizations, characterizations that Josh put forward for men. And some of the characterizations that Kelly put for women, but I think it's it's more subtle than we think. And that's basically what I got for you guys. Thanks, Rob. Your checks in the mail. Awesome. Josh always accuses me of paying people off when I win. And Rob did such a good job the first time he was on the podcast. <laughs> I'll still play pickleball with you, Rob. Thanks, buddy. Nothing personal. <laughs> I, I did want to get left behind just to drink beers and play pickleball, but <laughs> All right, Kelly, you've got this one. Yeah, I do. Maybe I should start a society. On Hervana? That's a horrible idea. <laughs> well, even though we invited Rob on the show to give his adjudication, our listeners have a chance to give their adjudications. And hopefully it'll be opposite of what Rob said. And if you're on Spotify, that will be our poll for this week. Do you think that we should leave all men behind or not? And don't forget our Q&A for one more episode is going to be, what is the meaning of life? Answer that question, and you could be included in our next episode where we take all of the answers we've been given and explore those throughout our hour with you. Thank you for joining us again, Rob, uh, not only for adjudicating correctly, but also imparting your wisdom and making sure that we stayed on, on topic. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Rob, how would you choose, if you were debating, how would you choose half of the population? Can you choose by, I don't know, can't be the oldest versus the youngest. I think maybe by intellect or by... Random? Not sure. That's a good question. I don't know. We should only take people with pets. Yeah, you didn't even address what's going to happen to all the animals. That's actually a pretty good criteria. I think it'd be good. People with pets are more empathetic. A lot of people said that's why they didn't trust Trump is because he didn't have a pet in the White House. Is he like the first one? I think he might have been. It's a red flag. Dang, that could have been the alternative right there. Only people with pets get to go to the new planet. But then we'd have to call it something different. What would we call a planet where only people with pets can go? Pet fauna? (laughs) (laughs) You can't steal my idea. (laughs) No, sorry. Oh, Petopia. Oh, that's a good one. Meowers? Oh my God, Josh, (laughs) you're fired.